Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. The victims were in airplanes or in their offices, secretaries, businessmen and women, military and federal workers, moms and dads, friends and neighbors. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. These acts of mass murder were intended to frighten our nation into chaos and retreat. But they have failed. Our country is strong. America was targeted for attack because we're the brightest beacon for freedom and opportunity in the world. And no one will keep that light from shining. Today our nation saw evil, the very worst of human nature. And we responded with the best of America. With the daring of our rescue workers, with the caring for strangers and neighbors who came to give blood and help in any way they could. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward. Hello, you beautiful Americans. <sighs> Today is... Today will be... Today will be. Yeah, when this is released and when we're when you'll be hearing it is gonna be the bad day. Yeah. Day that many have come to remember we're coming up on uh, next year'll be twenty years. Fucking ridiculous. Since that horrible day 20, attack on America. Twenty years. That's a long time. Yeah, that is a long time. And I mean that's just one that I don't think anybody'll ever forget. Uh, well, it it is, but it isn't. I think it it's one of those days that people definitely shouldn't forget. But it seems like, especially in this, in the year, light of everything, in the light of everything, a lot of people have. Yeah, which um, is unfortunate. But, and I'm not saying we need to dwell on it, but we don't need to forget about it. It's it, a well, huge thing. There's a difference between dwelling on something and just remembering and appreciating things that people did, and that's kind of the whole point of uh of today's episode and when you guys are going to be hearing it because right we're recording this on the 10th but we're going to release it on on the 11th so (sighs) let's go through an overview here for those who don't know even though you all do um september 11th 2001 8 45 in the morning on a tuesday american airlines boeing 767 loaded with 20,000 gallons of jet fuel crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. 
uh, impact leaving a gap and a burning hole near the 80th floor of the 110-story skyscraper, instantly killing hundreds of people and trapping hundreds more on the higher floors. Hold on. We have a pop-up here. Dang it. Get away from me. Um, as the evacuation of the tower uh, and its twin got underway, television cameras broadcasted live images of the initial what appeared to be a freak accident. And then 18 minutes later, after the first plane hit, a second Boeing 767 United Airlines Flight 175 appeared out of the sky, turned sharply toward the World Trade Center, and sliced into the South Tower at about the 60th floor. Uh, the collision caused a massive explosion that showered burning debris over surrounding buildings and the streets below, and that was when people knew America was under attack. Attackers were Islamic terrorists from Saudi Arabia, several other Arab nations, uh, reportedly financed by Saudi fugitive, who we all know but will not talk about till we talk about when he caught a bullet in his face, um, allegedly acting in retaliation for America's support of Israel. Uh, its involvement in the, and its involvement in the Persian Gulf War, uh, as it can, and its continued military presence in the Middle East. Some of some of the terrorists had lived in the United States for more than a year, and had taken flying lessons at American commercial flight schools. Other had slipped into the U.S. in the months before September 11th and acted as the muscle of the operation. Nineteen terrorists easily smuggled box cutters and knives through security at three East Coast airports and boarded four flights bound for California, chosen chosen because the flights were loaded with more fuel um, because they were long, long transcontinental journeys. Sometime after takeoff, the terrorists uh, commandeered the four planes, took the controls, transferring the, or- the ordinary commuter jets into guided missiles. Uh, as millions watched in horror of the events unfolded in New York, American Airlines Flight 77 circled over downtown Washington, D.C. and slammed into the west side of the Pentagon. Military headquarters at approximately 9.45 a.m. Jet fuel from that Boeing 757 caused a devastating inferno which led to the structural collapse of a portion of the giant concrete building. 125 military personnel and civilians were killed in the Pentagon along with 64 people aboard the airliner. Less than 15 minutes after that, the terrorists struck the nerve center of the United States military. Uh, Yes. Oh, oh, 15 minutes after the terrorists struck the nerve center of the United States military, the horror in New York City took a catastrophic turn for the worst when the South Tower of the World Trade Center collapsed in a massive cloud of dust and smoke. The structural steel of the skyscraper, built to withstand winds in excess of 200 miles an hour, and a large... Conventional fire could not withstand the tremendous heat generated from the burning jet fuel. At 10.30 in the morning, the other Trade Center Tower collapsed. Close to 3,000 people passed away on the initial collapse, Uh, whether they were in the building or within the vicinity of the building, including a staggering 343 firefighters, paramedics, 23 New York City police officers, 37 Port Authority police officers uh, who were struggling to complete an evacuation of the building, and to save office workers trapped on the higher floors. Only six people in the World Trade Center Tower at the time of the collapse survived. Um, Let me make sure I got that right. Only six people in the World Trade Center Towers at the time of their collapse survived. Almost 10,000 others were treated for injuries. Oh, man. Meanwhile, a fourth California-bound airplane, United Flight 93, was hijacked about 40 minutes after leaving Newark International Airport, New Jersey, 
because the plane had been delayed in taking off. Passengers on board learned of the events in New York City and Washington via cell phone and air phone calls on the ground. Uh, knowing that the aircraft was not returning to an airport as the hijackers claimed, a group of passengers and flight attendants planned an in, in, uh, insurrection. Sorry, I'm long, long article here. Uh, one of the passengers, Thomas Burnett Jr., told his wife over the phone, I know we're all going to die. There's three of us who are going to do something about it. I love you, honey. Another passenger, Todd Beamer, uh, was heard saying, are you guys ready? Let's roll on an open phone line. Sandy Bradshaw, a flight attendant, called her husband and explained that she had slipped into a galley uh, and was filling pitchers of boiling water. Her last words to him were, everyone's running to first class. I've got to go. Bye. Uh, passengers fought the four hijackers and attempted to gain control of the plane. Um, and they attacked the, com- the cockpit with a fire extinguisher. The plane then flipped over and sped toward the ground upwards at over 500 miles an hour, crashing into a rural field in western Pennsylvania at 10.10 a.m. All 45 aboard were killed. Uh, its intended target is not known, but theories include either the White House, the U.S. Capitol building, um, the Dave Camp presidential retreat in Maryland, or one of several nuclear power plants on the eastern seaboard. At 7 p.m., President George W. Bush, who had spent the day being uh, shuttled around the country because of security concerns, returned to the White House at 9 p.m. and delivered a telefied address from the Oval Office declaring terrorist attacks can shake the foundation of our biggest buildings, but they cannot touch the foundation of America. These acts shatter steel, but they cannot dent the steel of American resolve. In a reference to the eventual U.S. military response, he declared, we will make a distinction between the terrorists who committed these acts and those who harbor them. Operation Enduring Freedom, the United States-led international effort to oust the Taliban regime in Afghanistan and destroy Osama bin Laden's terrorist network, um, began on October 7, 2001, uh, which eventually led to Osama bin Laden being killed during a raid of his compound in Pakistan by U.S. forces on May 2, 2011. There we are. <clears throat> There's an overview of a one of the worst days in American history. Yeah, to say the least. <clears throat> yeah, first. Uh, well, I know. Like we were talking earlier before when we were off air. There's just there's there's few days in people's lives where they just no matter how much time goes by or anything like that. Like, you're always going to remember where you were that day. Right. Um, Which, obviously, being on the western side of the country, 8 a.m. when the attack started, um, you know, it was kind of, it was like 5 in the morning when things started over here. Uh, So, it was kind of one of those things that, you know, I was waking up getting ready for school because, I mean, 2001, I was only, I was 7, about to be be eight something like that yeah um so you know being a young kid but that was that was a day that just like the world stopped Mm -hmm. like that was not it was it was not business as usual no after that you know there was no kids in schools were 
gathered in front of TVs and parents weren't weren't going to work and because it sounds kind of ridiculous, but at the same time, it's like nobody knew if it was over or not. Yeah, exactly. No, that's true. Like, and granted, after the I think I don't, I can't remember the exact timeline of when uh, when the FAA did it, but like they grounded everything. Mm-hmm. Like everything was. Yeah. You weren't taken off from anywhere. Yeah. Like you're done. Um, but but still, people didn't know. Like, you know, is there going to be attacks on the west coast of the country? Are there going to be attacks on the the borders? Are there going to be attacks? Oh yeah, I mean, just know. for for I shouldn't just say just, but four flights out of how many flights that are taken off and leaving that day, like oh, thousands. Four. I mean, it, yeah, at the time you'd kind of scoff at the fact that like, oh, there's more. I mm-hmm. mean you had to think like that's what people were thinking like oh there's more just waiting for more and thank god there wasn't because i mean they yeah that was devastating as fuck yeah um i mean you not the lives that were lost um that day it didn't just stop there either it carried on to we still get notifications of officers um firefighters uh mainly first responders that are dying from post 9-11 illnesses mm-hmm. and so it can still continues and and it probably will um up until that generation who was involved firsthand until is actually, it's completely gone and until they've all passed away whether from old age or from 9-11 illnesses mm-hmm. um so yeah just it was a it was an attack on America's soil and it it affected us that day and it continues to affect some and many actually as, as the days and years go on. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it was a, could have been a lot worse. Sure. But it was fucking horrible. Yeah. And they, you know, terrorism has a way of being like a disease. It hits hard and fast and then it'll continue to leave just a nasty fucking mark. Right. And that was, and we don't mean, we don't mean for this whole thing to just be like a downer of talking about this nonstop. But the the reason we wanted, obviously, the day coming up hot and fast. But then people forget, like, the goddamn heroes that were there that day, whether they were police officers, firefighters, random people. Like, there were some people that just wanted to get out of the building and and get away which is completely understandable and normal um and then there were people who who sprung into action and saved who knows how many lives at the end of the day right um and that's what we basically want to spend this oppor- this opportunity talking about them and maybe telling you some stories that you didn't know happened on that day right um so i just read the we went over the overview so why don't you take the first story there Joshua? So the first one that I have is Officer Christopher Amoroso. Um, Some of you might have seen this coming across your uh, Facebook feed or something because this isn't the first time I've seen his name before. But he is a port officer, or was, sorry, a port officer. Um, So he went into number two in the the – photo that he's in is kind of what makes it so 
heart wrenching in a way is when you say number two, what do you mean? Tower number two. Oh, okay. is that the north or the south? I can't even remember. Um, good question. It was the one that was hit second, obviously, not to be a jackass, but um, I cannot remember the order that they were hit if it was north or so south. Tower first. So the North Tower was hit first. North Tower, okay. So it would have been South Tower then. Okay. Um, I wanted to make sure I get it right. He was a port officer. So yeah, Chris Christopher Amoroso, and I'm hoping I'm not butchering his name. He so the fo- back to the photo. What he what was taken of him? He's, uh, him and another guy, are carrying well, helping lead, kind of carrying this pregnant lady, out of the building. Um, and to safety and after this photo was taken he went back in for a fifth fourth time he went back in for a fourth time and never came back out he had a wife and baby at home oh, shit. that he would not go home to that day because and it's like well why the fuck did he he did he did enough he could have stayed on the ground and maybe help get people back or set up blockades he could have help carry people out on stretchers. He could have done all these things, but now he was worried about the people that were stuck inside there and he going to do everything he could to get as many out as he could. Right. And people are like, why didn't, why didn't he stop? Why did he just keep going? Well, you know, for the rest of you law enforcement officers out there who are listening, it's because he is a sheepdog. And that's, I mean, that brings up a valid point is why do, why do cops go, not all cops, but majority of cops go running into the face of danger. And that's what's been bred into us if you will um and he's a prime example of it he probably knew that he was gonna die i mean i don't know have you ever been near a oh yeah you've been near building crashing not building not crashing buildings but you've been near uh burning buildings oh yeah and you know what they sound like imagine that of a fucking skyscraper and then thousands of people screaming bodies falling from the towers people don't realize that or think about it it's like People were jumping out of the towers to get away from it. They didn't oh, care. Yeah. No, they didn't they just were, stay in there and hunker down. No, they were trying were, to escape. There were well, there's videos that they don't really censor because you really can't. Right. Um, but there were people jumping off the roof of that building mm-hmm. or those skyscrapers. They were jumping out the windows because you got to think the north the north tower was hit around the 80th floor. The south tower was hit around the 60th. Right. If you're above that, you're you're stuck. Yeah. There's no way you can't. You can't get past it. Yeah, there's no <coughs> obviously. There, obviously, there's no elevators. Um, even Stair. if there, even if there were stairs, the heat and the smoke from the burning jet fuel and everything. Mm-hmm. Even if you could magically get past it, you're obviously going down the stairs because you're not going down the elevators. Yep. How are you going to get down sixty or eighty flights of stairs? Or that fast? Or stories? Right. That fast. Exactly. Because I think what was it you had about. 20 minutes, mm-hmm. 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, maybe you could have done it. If you're in, if you're in amazing if you're goddamn in pretty shape. good shape or you're just dedicated to just pretty much rolling down the steps. Yeah. Like all the whole damn time just to yeah. get out. Um, but I think, and obviously I wasn't there, so I don't, I hate to put myself in shoes of like, oh, I would have done this, I would have done that, blah, blah, blah. Um, but what was, what was his name again? I'm sorry. And Christopher... Amoroso. And he was a port officer, right? I'm double checking on that. I want to make sure I don't have it wrong. Okay. Well, regard I I hate to like I said, I hate to put myself in a position of oh, I would have done this, would have done that, blah blah blah. Um, but I feel like 
Port Authority officer. Yeah. I feel like Chris was kind of in a position where, you know, you can't, obviously at the time, you don't know when the tower is going to come down. Um, you don't even know if, if it is going to come down. Right. Like, as far as you know, it's the, it's a hundred story skyscraper. Like maybe it's got a hole in it and it yeah. maybe it's not going to come down. And, but at the same time, like the tower came down when he was making his fourth trip inside, um, to help get people out. I think it would have ate at him if he only did two. Exactly. You yeah. know, or if he, he could have gone from, or more. if he would have done his third trip to get people out and then he just would have said, when, how can you sit there and say, okay, I'm, I'm done helping. I'm done helping. Exactly. Yeah. You know, just not, you know, you just, can't, I can't even think of that. No. You, and that's kind of what I'm saying is like, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself making a couple of trips to help get people out and then saying, okay, I'm done. Right. Ma'am. You know, and, and yeah. Tagging and, out. Yeah. And I'm, oh, I, I've, I've done enough. I've done, and you know, cause you can always do more. Exactly. Especially if, you know, hypothetically speaking, say Chris would have done two, made two trips in, got a couple dozen people out or however many people he was able to get out. Mm-hmm. And then he's standing on the curb and knowing I could, I could have done another one. Right. Like I could have gone in again. Yep. And maybe that's what happened. Maybe he did his third trip and then he was like, I, I can do one more. I can get another one. Right. And then he just wasn't able to, wasn't able to get back out. Yep. Um, Let's see here. Let's see here. 24-year-old equities trader. So not even a police officer, not a firefighter, nothing. Only 24 years old. um, Helped at least a dozen people get out and then went back in with firefighters to save more. So just a few minutes after the United Airlines Flight 175 struck the South Tower of the World Trade Center, 24-year-old Wells Crowther called his mother and calmly left a voicemail, and he said, Mom, this is Wells. Uh, I want you to know I'm okay, and then hung up the phone. Uh, Crowther was an equities trader for the Sandler, O'Neill, and Partners on the 104th floor, but after that call, the man who was a volunteer firefighter in his teens made his way down to the 78th, 78th floor sky lobby and became a hero to strangers known as the man in the red bandana. Um... This was a quote. Amid the smoke, chaos, and debris, Crowther helped injured and disoriented office workers to safety, risking his own life in the process. Though they couldn't see much through the haze, um, those he saved were called a tall figure wearing a red bandana to shield his lungs and his mouth. He had to come down to the 78th floor sky lobby, um, an alcove in the building with express elevators meant to speed up trips to the ground floor in the best described as a strong authoritative voice Crowther directed survivors to the stairwell and encouraged them to help others while he carried an injured woman on his back after bringing her 15 floors down to safety he made his way back up to help others Um, everyone who can stand stand now Crowther told survivors while directing them to the stairway exit if you can help others do so he definitely somebody was quoted saying he's definitely my guardian angel no ifs ands or buts about because without him uh, we wouldn't be sitting here waiting until the we would be sitting here waiting until the building came down. Survivor Ling Young told CNN that Crowther credited is credited with saving at least a dozen people that day. Um, Crowther's body was later recovered alongside firefighters in the stairwell uh, as he was heading back up the tower with a with the Jaws of Life rescue tool, um, according to according to uh, first responders. So this is a, a 24-year-old kid who 
a whole life ahead of him. Who was an equities trader. So nothing, I mean, like I said, he was a volunteer firefighter in his teens, but that was probably, uh, um, you know, you don't, you never know. He could have been a volunteer firefighter somewhere in New York. He could have been in some small podunk little town where all he had was a brush fire every now and again. But then I, and I can't, I hate to say it because maybe, maybe a lot of people are kind of under the impression that the towers weren't going to come down that day. Maybe. Um, but to, but to only go down 15 floors to make people keep going down the stairs and then to go back up and then to be found in the rubble. And they were basically able to determine that you picked up the jaws of life and were going back up, which, which obviously meant you knew somebody was stuck right? or somebody was stuck somewhere. They couldn't get out Yeah, and you were going to, you were going to do something about it. And then unfortunately the tower came down. Yeah. You know, that's not. Yeah. Well, it's like, like I said, those things were, and especially if you worked there, I mean, you probably knew, like it was just playing off stock of how, how great these towers were, you know, twin skyscrapers in New York city. Oh yeah. These things can take fricking anything. You know, even if four floors go starts on fire, the integrity of the building isn't going to be, is not supposed to be compromised. Mm -hmm. It's not meant to take a a fucking jet crash into it, of course. Yeah. However, um, like it said, the jet crashing isn't what initially caused, I mean, that had a lot to do with it, but jet fuel burns at a stupid hot rate, a lot higher than any fucking commercial fire can burn inside an office building. I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. Heat will obviously do things to steel that'll fucking degrade the integrity tremendously. So, I mean, yeah, it's meant to take a fucking beating, but not an airplane crashing into, of course. No, you can't. And I mean, who would build something with the expectation? I mean, there's probably buildings are probably built, built now with somewhat of that expectation. Yeah. But especially this was the first major attack of its kind other than like accidents of planes crashing into buildings. Right. You know, they didn't, you didn't build a skyscraper with the intent of this is going to hold up to a, a 767 or whatever it was. 747. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. I got another one here. Um, okay. This okay. one's kind of short, but yeah, yeah. Oreo Palmer, Battalion Chief uh, Fire Department, New York City, Battalion 7, lost his life while rescuing civilians trapped inside the World Trade Center on 9-11. He was the first to reach the impact zone in number two World Trade Center, South Tower. Mm-hmm. That's what he was known for. So he's the first first firefighter to get up there, and obviously he did not make it back down. <clears throat> I said that one was short, but right, no, just I name. didn't think it was that short. <laughs> yeah, not really short. During September 11, um, just some numbers for you: two thousand nine hundred seventy-seven people died that day, and I don't think nineteen those the nineteen hijackers are added to that number because fuck them exactly they can burn in a special place of hell so far to date um as of september 9th 2019 241 new york police department officers have died from 9-11 illnesses say that again 241 241 have died from related illness so when i was going through that list and i told you it was a stupid long list of who has died as a result of 9-11 illnesses Uh it is 10 times the number killed at the world trade center attack oh shit yeah so yep 
God dang, man. That is one of those. See, it was 23 that were killed. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it was a, it was a horrible day, but at the end of the day, that's not when the, uh, unfortunately, that's not when the killing stopped. Nope. But, all right, let's talk about here. Obviously, everybody knows uh, the, at least somewhat of the story of uh, United 93, which is the flight that crashed into the, into the field in western Pennsylvania, so nobody really, nobody's really 100% sure where that plane was, would have ended up had the passengers not uh, responded the way they did, but let's see what some of the uh, people were quoted, and that's the other thing that, could you imagine if this happened today because people don't have air phones anymore? Back at, they, they do have air phones still in the elevators. No, I'm talking on the planes. Oh, on the planes? Yeah. Um, no, I'm talking about on the planes. Because remember back in the day, they used to have like the phones and the headrests? Yeah, yeah. That were, yeah, they were expensive as shit. Right. But you could actually make phone calls from the airplane and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, now. Now, most of the big yeah. flights, you can usually, you can still use your phone. Planes have like Wi-Fi and stuff now. Yeah. So I don't um, think they have the phones. Well, I guess mind. if you're on Wi-Fi, you could make like Facebook calls and stuff like that. Right. So it's not really like, I think you're not supposed to, but you yeah. probably could. Right. Um, regardless. Anyway, so let's see here. So 9.28 a.m. on that day, uh, four Al-Qaeda terrorists, after they had stabbed the pilot and a flight attendant, uh, passengers were told that there was a bomb on board and the plane was headed back to the airport, which is obviously a big fucking lie. Um but this was after two planes had already crashed into the World Trade Center and the passengers of United 93 huddled in the back of the plane um, and were beginning to find out what the real plan was beginning at 9.30. Several passengers made phone calls to their loved ones. Um, someone was quoted saying, Tom, there are hijacking, they are hijacking planes up and down the East Coast. Uh, Dina Burnett told her husband Tom, a passenger on United 93, in a cell phone call at 9.34 a.m., uh, they are taking them and hitting designated targets. They've already hit both towers of the World Trade Center. In another phone call, Tom learned that his wife, from his wife, that another plane had hit the Pentagon. Um, let me see. So Deanna was quoted as saying, "We have to do something." Burnett told his wife at 9:45 a.m., "I'm putting a plan. I'm putting a plan together." Other passengers, including Mark Bingham. Jeremy Glick and Todd Beamer um, were learning similar details on their own private phone calls. As the plane was barreling toward Washington, D.C., the passengers voted on whether to fight back against the hijackers. Uh, led by the four-man group, the passengers then rushed the con- cockpit with Beamer rallying them in his last words, you ready? Okay, let's roll. Uh, from 9.57... The cockpit recorder picked up the sounds of fighting in the aircraft losing control at 30,000 feet. The crash of trolleys, dishes being hurtled and smashed. The terrorists screaming at each other to hold the door against what is obviously a siege from the cabin. A passenger cries, um, let's get them, and there's more screaming, and then an apparent breach. Uh, Passenger was heard on the recorder shouting, give it to me, apparently talking about uh, attempting to seize the controls. And instead, before a passenger was able to gain control of the plane, uh, 
Um, the plane crashed into a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, killing all 44 passengers on board. Uh, like I said, it's not clear. They're pretty sure uh, that plane was either destined for the White House or the U.S. Capitol. That was going to be one of one of those two places were going to be the targets. You mean the White House or the Pentagon? No, the Pentagon was hit. No, I mean like you said, the White House or the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, yeah. That's where they say that's where they they guess this plane was meant to go, but it crashed into the field. Right. Yeah. 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 No, they yeah mission. I mean, <clears throat> obviously everybody on board died, but they were able to save it from hitting wherever that one was heading. From. Right. Whether it was the White House Capitol or like they said earlier could have been one of the many like nuclear power plants right you think if you really want to do some damage then yeah you crash a you crash a plane well yeah yeah take out a nuclear power plant white house would be pretty devastating hitting hitting i mean two towers the pentagon the white house well obviously i mean granted these guys are i hate to give credit in any way shape or go form. fuckers well we'll throw that in there as a preface but you have to have some kind of planning ability, so you have oh, to know, obviously you yeah. have to know that there's no way because you think if you're going to hit the White House, the goal or like a big picture goal would be to kill the president. Mm-hmm. But you know, as soon as a, as soon as the world the first tower was hit, the president's not in the White House. Yeah, like he's not. Yeah, he's going to be getting shuttled around from anywhere he fucking can. Secret Service has countless security measures oh yeah exactly to move and then that you know you got the safe house there that at the well at the white house there's multiple safe house there's safe rooms like you said moving him getting mm-hmm. him out of there yeah probably not putting him in an airplane was their first choice uh probably not but if it if it is air force one yeah and you're gonna take off and just be like well who was the president at the time was bush right he yeah jumping his own f-18 well, that's what I'm thinking. Is that that's true? You could do that. I mean, if you, I mean, if but you're President I'm, Bush, be like, "Fucking wrangle one of these up, boys, and get me up in the air." I mean, really, when you think about it, like if you just did, if you went, because I, I don't know where they keep Air Force One when it's not in use. I'm assuming it's a highly guarded private airport. Yeah, probably. Um, I doubt it's like JFK, but uh, yeah, you put the president on Air Force One. You put a few, like probably high-ranking Secret Service guys with him. His pilot, which if you're going to be the pilot of Air Force One, you're already really heavily um, background investigated and watched. You, know, you probably can't take shit without them knowing about it. Yeah. Um, and then you put him up in the air, 30,000 feet, and you surround him with four F-16s. Is it 16? Uh, 18s. It would have been 18 Sorry. at that time. But you surround the plane with like four F-18s with radar. And if anything gets close to that fucking plane, it's it's gonna get Fair game. They're gonna be ten miles away and getting shot by those fucking F eighteens. Right. You know. So you'd think it'd be kind of a weird it it and it would be kind of weird to think like, oh, this is going on in the world, so we're gonna put the fucking president on an airplane. Right. It, it might actually be pretty fucking safe. Yeah, it could be, especially when you say it like that. That's true. It's very true. Yeah. Now you put I mean, that plane and then military members to, mm-hmm. to guard him up in the sky. I mean, we have, I mean, the, not, you don't really need secret service people in the plane, maybe just like two or three. Yeah. And then you just put like him, his wife and I mean, all his kids were grown. So obviously yeah. they weren't living there, but you put him right. and his wife on the plane and get the fuck up in the air. Yep. And then you stay up in the air until 
You're laying you know somewhere in Kansas. You know everything's clear. Or, yeah, you land somewhere in fucking Arkansas. Lewiston, Idaho. Good God. That would be fucking... Well, who would expect that? No, exactly right. <laughs> lock lock the airport down. Right. But... Um. Yeah, I mean, obviously they had planning in place. I mean, they were sending people to commercial airlining school. I mean, they they were. It wasn't just like, hey, let's throw some fucking jihad loving goat fuckers on a plane and say, go figure, get them, boys. Figure it out. No, these guys probably were dressed normal. I mean, who knows? Business attire. Yeah. Normal guys. Well, that's watching the because obviously they have they found out who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, you found out they had to go through airport security. Right. Um, and that was obviously after 9-11. Um, hold on. Da, 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 da. After 9-11, TSA security fucking took a huge... Right turn uh, or left turn, however you want to look at it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Fuck security was, now. But, I mean, they, there's a reason for it. They used to allow, like, the small pocket knives and stuff, or, like, box cutters, stuff like that. Like, they used to allow that mm-hmm. shit. Well, there's one point. I mean, fuck you. You can carry a gun on... Plane well, you still you, can't. You still can if you're a U.S. marshal or some sort of federal officer. Some sort of federal officer, yeah. Right, they, but like a normal person could just fucking, you know, like '60s, '70s, '80s, you get you just fucking get on the plane. You just they stamp your ticket and walk through a door and hop on a plane. You fucking right. take your dynamite to go blow up your train bridge back home if you wanted to. You carried on the plane. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't give a fuck, and it and. This sounds horrible. It amazes me. It took this long for something fucking horrible like this to happen before they started fucking tightening TSA down the way they have. Yeah. Maybe it's because that's the way we've known it, our mm. whole lives of flying and stuff. But, I mean, really, you think about it, all the years of people being able to carry whatever the fuck they want on a plane, damn near, and and then the most extreme incident, using them as, as History of One quoted, guided missiles, yeah. causes them to be TSA to be like, oh, shit. I, I mean... Well, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But, but of course, I mean, hindsight, of course, is one of those things. Yeah, and that's that's usually what it takes is like something horrible has to happen before people realize... Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw on a little bit of a tangent. It's like the OSHA handbook. I mean, it's written in blood. You don't think of writing a rule about it until someone kills himself because they're swinging from a crane ball into the river. Yeah, unless it's obviously stupid. Yeah. You know, then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's not a good idea. Right. But let's see. Let's talk about a few more of these guys. Cause, I mean, um, obviously going through this kind of stuff, it goes quick. I mean, we've already been going for like 40 minutes. Oh, goddamn. Yeah. But Hit a few more of these here. There's still so many. There is. I mean, you can go on to um, odmp.org, fallen officers from 9-11 terrorist attack, and has a picture of every single one who has died, who died then, and who has died as a result of. Mm-hmm. And if you want to, you can click on each picture, and it will tell you who they are, when they died. Yep. Good Lord. But do you have another one over there? Um, I don't. I could just start sent. I could just start. You know, okay. throwing names yeah, out got, there if I've you got want to. A few more, real quick. Go ahead. So this one is kind of interesting. So 15 minutes after takeoff from uh, Boston, Massachusetts, American Airlines Flight 11 was hijacked by five Al Qaeda terrorists and sharply changed flight paths away from Los Angeles, its intended location, um, back to New York City. 
with the group led by someone who will not be named because they can burn in hell um, at the controls and some flight attendants and passengers are stabbed. Uh, the terrorists push the remaining passengers towards the back of the plane. Using the crew telephone, flight attendant Betty Ong, O-N-G, Ong, right, sorry, I hope, I hope I'm not butchering it, uh, and Amy Sweeney calmly relayed information to their colleagues on what was unfolding that morning. Um, Betty was quoted saying, okay, my name is, is Betty Ong, I'm number three on flight 11, and the cockpit is not answering their phone, and there's somebody stabbed in business class, and there's... We can't breathe in business class. Somebody got, somebody's got mace or something. Um, speaking with an American Airlines Reservation Center, Ong explained that some of the crew had been murdered and the hijackers had infiltrated the cockpit. She shared information on the men, including their seat numbers, what they looked like, and what they looked like to her colleagues. Um, this information eventually led to the terrorists actually being identified, I'm assuming, rather easily. Probably, um, yeah, especially you throw seat numbers and stuff like that. You throw like seat that. numbers and things like that in there, and you're able to just, oh, yeah. this is the name. And then maybe if they used a bullshit name, a little bit of background investigation, and then you're able to find out who they are. CIA. Can uh, exactly. Oh, it'll be quick. Yeah. So uh, Amy Sweeney, the other flight attendant, um, she was quoted saying, Sweeney slid into a passenger seat in the next to last row of coach and used the air phone to call American Airlines flight services at Boston Logan Airport. She said that she was quoted on the phone saying, this is Amy Sweeney. I'm on flight 11. The plane has been hijacked. Um, she was then disconnected and called back and said, listen to me, listen to me very carefully. Within seconds, she befuddled responders. Uh, her befuddled resp respondent was replaced by a voice she knew. Amy, this is Michael Woodward, the American Airlines flight service manager, um, had been friends with Sweeney for a decade, so he didn't have to waste time verifying that this was a hoax. Michael, she said, Michael, this plane has been hijacked. Miss Sweeney repeated. Calmly, she gave up the seat location of the three hijackers, 9D, 9G, and 10B. She said they were all Middle Eastern descent, and one spoke English very well. Um, those on the other end of the line were astonished at their calm demeanor and professionalism at the time. According to ABC News, at least 20 minutes before the plane crashed into the North Tower, American Airlines had the names, addresses, and the information of three of the five hijackers. Um, and this would obviously help the FBI jumpstart the f entire investigation. Right. So, let me... 20 minutes before... The plane crashed into the tower. They already knew who three of these five fuckers were. Fucking incredible. Before any, well, obviously hijacking an airplane is a major offense. Uh, yeah, um, just about domestic terrorism. It, exactly. Or it terrorism, is. period. Exactly, it is. Um, let's see. Uh, Nadia Gonzalez, an operator, an operators specialist uh, for American American Airlines, later testified to the 9-11 Commission about the calm demeanor of Ong who asked her to, quote, pray for us. Let's see. Yep. Let's see. There was one more that I wanted to get to that was freaking. That one stuck out to me pretty pretty well. Just, you know. And she had to have known this was it. Well, I don't see how. You don't? You don't. I know. You I mean, don't. So you don't see how you, that, you don't well, see that. Yeah, I mean, you don't. Unless you're just completely in a different place, I guess. You don't think of yourself as 
a plane gets hijacked, it's probably not, they're probably not just going to land at an airport. Right. You know, and then just let you off the plane. Like, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, let's see. One more here that I thought was rather interesting. Um, so, while the planes were hitting the World Trade Centers, 27-year-old Jason Thomas was dropping off his daughter, his daughter to his mother in Long Island. When Thomas heard what had transpired, he quickly changed into his Marine Corps uniform he had sitting in his trunk uh, as Thomas was a former sergeant and had been out of the Corps for a year and sped towards Manhattan. Uh, someone need, Thomas was quoted after the attack saying, someone needed help, it didn't matter who. Thomas told the, the Associated Press, I, I didn't have a plan, but I have all this training as a Marine and all I could think was my city is in need. Around the same time in Wilton, Connecticut, Dave Carnes um, was working in his office watching the attacks unfold on TV. Uh, he told the Associated Press, we're at war. The former Marine Staff Sergeant said to his colleagues before telling his boss he might not be back for a while. According to the slate, uh, he went, got a haircut, changed into his Marine uniform, and drove to New York City, which was 120 miles away. Once both Marines reached the collapsed towers, the site now covered in ash and debris, they began searching for survivors. But first they found each other. They had little gear with them besides flashlights and military entrenchment tools. Uh, along with other first responders, the pair climbed over the dangerous field of metal, concrete, and dust, calling out, United States Marines, if you can hear us, yell or tap. Um, when they reached a depression in the rubble of what had been the South Tower... He said, I thought I heard someone, um, so I yelled down, and they replied back that they were New York Port Authority police officers. Uh, they asked us not to leave. Carnes told Thomas to get to a high point to direct rescuers to the site, then called his wife and sister on the cell phone and told, told them to, to phone and give the New York police his location. Um, the, two, the two officers were identified as William Gimeno and John... McLaughlin, um, who were on the main concourse between the towers when the towers began to fall. But they made it into a freight elevator before the collapse of the tower. They were alive but seriously injured, trapped approximately 20 feet below the surface of the rubble. According to USA Today, once they heard the voices of the Marines, Gimeno began shouting the code for officer down to 813-813. Um... After they were located amid an unstable mountain of debris, it took rescue workers roughly three hours to dig out Jimeno and another eight hours to reach McLaughlin, who was buried further down. An exhumed, an, oh, excuse me, an exhausted Thomas, who never gave his first name, left the site after Jimeno was rescued, but returned to Ground Zero for the next two and a half weeks to help. Uh, his identity was a mystery until after Oliver Stone's 2006 film world trade center chronicled the rescue of the officers and thomas emerged from the shadows i think i've seen that movie that's a movie with uh nicholas cage and michael pena yeah um let's see carnes also left after Jimeno came up uh but helped at the site for another nine days after he returned to connecticut he went to his reserve center and re-enlisted and later served two tours of duty in iraq god damn that's they didn't have to do that. Fuck no. No. They 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 went completely out of their way to go and do that. Oh yeah. They like Thomas was Tom all Thomas was doing was dropping his daughter off. 
Yeah. And then decided, I got to go. Yeah. And then and Carnes did the exact same thing. And not only did they go, and not to downplay it, but I'm sure there were p- plenty of people that went mm-hmm. and, and helped out and did things. But these guys not only didn't have to go, but they ended up saving two port officers' lives because they went. I mean, maybe they would have been found by other people, maybe not. But it doesn't, I mean, at this point, it kind of doesn't matter. It's kind of turned into, you know, these two found them and they didn't even have to be there in the first place. Yep. Exactly. And fucking Americans. Oh, I know. Good goddamn Americans. But see, that's kind of why, like, not that it's a good thing. The whole day was a fucking horrible day as it was. Um, But it's also, you read these stories and you just forget the kind of things that people did that day. Right. You know, the things that people didn't have to do, the things that people drove 120 miles away from their job to respond to a tragedy like this and ended up doing something major like discovering two trapped Port Authority officers. Right. (sighs) Just a whole episode of Heroes, pretty much. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that is the end of my initial headlines that I was able to find. Yeah. And, but yeah. Do you have anything else over there? No. I don't know. When you think of 9-11 and people that died, like, first thing that comes to your mind is, like, adults, right? Mm-hmm. That are, I mean, here's what you think about, you know, mainly adults fly. Not usually, you don't usually see a lot of kids on there, and if they do, it's your baby or something, one or two. But, I mean, they kids died that day too and 11 year old bernard curtis brown the second of washington washington dc was a more aboard flight 77 and i'll just tug at everybody's heartstrings a little bit here um so her his dad worked at the pentagon and his dad had a heart to heart with his kid because he was a little afraid of flying and um, telling tell his boy, he's like, don't be afraid. Just listen to what people have to tell you and the instructions. You'll be all right. And this was, of course, before the flight and what, before he even went up and then went onto the plane. He said, he told his dad, I'm scared. And he said, hey, don't be scared. Don't be afraid to die because we're all going to die someday. Because his kid told him he was afraid that he's going to die while he's flying. Mm-hmm. Just a generalized fear, you know, kids. And that poor boy died that day wearing his t- a little bit of light on it a pair of his beloved air jordan sneakers his treasured shoes oh, at least the boy was wearing his treasured shoes right oh but still, I mean, that's, yeah i mean there were looking at it now there were eight eight children there's another one right here yeah there were two on flight 11 on flight 77 Age three and eleven, mm-hmm. or five of them on flight seventy-seven. Age between three and eleven, three on flight one seventy-five. Age two, three, and four, and the youngest being uh, two and a half years old, with the oldest passenger being an eighty-five-year-old passenger who was on flight eleven. You <sighs> know, if I was that eighty-five-year-old passenger, I'd go down with the fight. But if for some reason I was stuck in my seat where I needed like help to get out, and I just stuck there, uh-huh. take a double. <laughs> I've had my days. Oh, God. That's horrible. It's so, 
But that's kind of 88-year-old I'll be. If I'm alive at 88. You never know. But but that's just one of those things. It's like you have to reflect on... I mean, and granted, there's people that are going to say like, oh, it's just morbid to talk about and things like that. But you you have to reflect on history even when it's not pretty. Yeah, exactly. Because it's just, it it doesn't go away. History is written in blood. And I mean, you have all these, you have all these stories of like heroic police officers, firefighters, first responders. And then you have all these stories of people who are just normal flight attendants, former military service members. um, Commercial goods trader. What was it? Equity Equity trader. Equity trader. You know, who just tragedy happens like this and they just spring into action and do what they need to do to help people. Right. And they save, between all of them, they save hundreds of lives or they help. They're a crucial piece to the investigation to find out who the hell did it. Right. Um, which, honest, which 10 years later would lead up to the mastermind of Al-Qaeda mm-hmm. um, being killed. Thank God. Being killed in the raid. And not only just being killed, but being killed by a fucking American. Yeah. Like four... And, and it might sound kind of shitty because, like, a dead person is still a dead person no matter how you look at it. Right. But to me, it kind of adds it kind of adds to the we won because because we got him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like a he fell down some stairs and broke his back and died. Like, right. No, we we got you. Yeah. Like, you're going to do this to us. We're going to come find you. Yeah. It might take us 10 years. Right. But we're going to find you. Oh, yeah. And we did. Damn straight. Oh. All right, you Mother beautiful sons of bitches. We love you. Don't forget to to tell people you love them because you never know when tragedy strikes. It exactly. comes it comes out of the darkness and comes quickly. But yes, it does. Until next time, we had to give we had to give this day in our in our nation's history special recognition, especially for all the heroes that that deserve it. But until we talk to you next time, be sure to tell people you love them. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time. God bless America.